Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. And happy third birthday to us. Yes, we kicked this off three years ago. And so, as is the tradition here, I try to I try to bring out a very, very special guest for all of our birthdays. Somebody who ties into a band that gets a lot of attention or discussed a lot on here. Someone I'm a huge fan of. This year, we are bucking with the trend. We are not talking to a British-born drummer of a huge Scottish band. Instead, we are talking to Steve Ferris, the guitarist for the most hands-down, often-requested band we ever get on this show, Mr. Mister. Now, we go deep on the whole career, and I think you guys are going to love this. Steve is one of those total straight shooters, a big character, big personality, tells it like it is, doesn't pull any punches. And we learn kind of, you know, what made that second album, Welcome to the Real World, go so right? And then what made the third album go on, go so wrong? And the the dynamic of the band, how it changed, how success changed people's personalities and their relationships to each other. We discuss all of those things. And there were a lot of you that contributed questions to this to this interview and so many of them had to do with kiss and so we kick off the uh, interview we, we go deep on his associations with kiss what happened exactly what he did how he knows them stories about them you can't get enough kiss right this is gonna be great you guys are gonna love it he also talks about his time with Eddie money uh, other co uh, collaborations like Howard Jones he tells a really funny Howard Jones story in here um, and you guys will be pretty shocked to hear what he does today for a living. It's very unique and kind of amazing. So happy birthday to us. Thank you to all of you that contributed and have given us all this love and support over these last three years. We're so grateful that people care and listen. And I hope you enjoy this conversation. I don't know how you couldn't. It is fantastic. He called me from his home in Nebraska. So I threw this out to my listeners. I said, guess what? I finally have somebody from Mr. Mr. coming on. Get, send me all your questions, everything you want to know. And can you guess what right. the majority of the questions that came back were about? I, I don't know if I'd even delve into that at all. Go really? Most of them had to do with KISS. It's crazy oh to God. me. I know. And you had sent that email. I Now... You know, I consider myself a big Mr. Mr. fan, but I didn't know that yeah. you had, you know, spent yeah, five minutes in a, Kiss. 
what a larger li- than life deal in my life. In my life, yeah. uh, it's and I told you I said this is funny because I've done interviews about that solo like several times in the last couple of years. It's just like I, I don't know <laughs> who would have known. I know all those years ago, you know. I, I mean, know. you know, for that couple minutes of playing guitar. That, but it's interesting. I mean, it was. By the way, it was a big deal in my life. There's I believe no it. I mean, I I hadn't done anything. Yet. I didn't any name things, and I'd never actually played on an actual record. I'd been recording demos and doing those kind of things. So when that all happened, of course, it was a big deal for me too. I wouldn't, I wouldn't shirk that at all. Yeah. But uh, and it started the whole, started a whole number of things, you know. But good. God, that's interesting. Those are the questions. Yeah. So <laughs> I mean, I've signed Kiss records. I've signed Kiss records all over the world. You do? I've signed yeah. autographs on Kiss records. I have. Yeah. Now, okay. So break this down <laughs> for me because this is news to me as well. So did you? Okay. I and. You can imagine these guys want specifics. So, from what I understand, you auditioned, I believe, to be a member. You want the story? You want, yeah. you want the story? It might be long, and you might edit that. But... That's fine. Okay, I, I was I was in L.A. beating the streets, playing everything I could, playing in every jam session. You know, hustling, hustling. Mm-hmm. And I was in a band called the Mambo Jets with some. Uh, anyway, we were playing at Marina Del Rey, at a place called Blue Lagoon Square. And I got down, and it was it was an original band, and you know it had a lot of guitar stuff. I was really featured, and I was just playing my ass off and all that stuff. Anyway, I got down, and a guy comes up to me at the end of the set and says, "Hey, would you be interested in auditioning for Kiss?" And of course, that answer is always like, "Well, I don't know. My Volkswagen Rabbit I have to push and then pop the clutch to start it. I eat Campbell's soup every day. Why the fuck would I want to audition for Kiss?" But anyway, you know, the guy tells me, he said, "No, Ace Freely's leaving, and we're looking for somebody, and you got the right look, all that shit. You know, you're looking for the right look, blah blah blah. Here's the number." Call this girl, take her tape. Anyway, long story short, I get together with my friend Tony Peluso. He was a, a kind of think Tony's deceased, as a matter of fact, but Tony was an engineer, but his, his bigger, you know, he was the guitar player of the Carpenters of all things. Oh. But he was a great dude, and I used to, he used to be a recording engineer, and I, I really liked him. And I got, I called Tony and said, man, I got to put together tape, all these things. And I had original music I'd recorded in Chicago and Midwest before I moved to LA and I had these tapes and that tape, just everything I could find live mm-hmm. things that I thought were good whatever you know I put together mm-hmm. tape and I went down I met this girl it was on it was on Sunset about Sunset and Gower I can't remember some little office and I go in and she listens to the tape I'm sitting there I look completely unimpressed <laughs> and I went home and thought well another day in the life you know mm-hmm. big deal but mm-hmm. about a week and a half later on a Friday I remember I get a call it says this is Steve Ferris he goes Hey, Steve, this is Paul Stanley from KISS. Gene and I uh, listen to your tape. We really like it. And want to know if you want to come down to the record plant tomorrow. We're just having guys play on this record. That's kind of an audition. See how it goes. I go, sure. <laughs> Mind you, I was I wanted to be a session guy. I mean, I was trying to be a hot shot, go in and be able to nail stuff quick and all that kind of thing. So that was my focus anyway. Mm-hmm. I said, sure. I'd been to the record plant maybe once, like, because we had some free time in the middle of the night to record something, you know, but. I go down there on Saturday. He says, "Come down too." I go down Saturday. I walk by, and Tom Petty comes in on one out in one room and out the other. And Luther Vandross is talking on the phone on the payphone back then. And wow. I can't remember who was in the third studio, but they were back in Studio D, in the back of the, uh, the last deal back in the hallway. And there's just you know sliding glass windows, uh, sliding glass doors rather to go into the control room. And I go, this, of course, this is the first time you've ever seen Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons without makeup. Now mm-hmm. you see him, but you didn't then. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is 1982. Mm-hmm. And so there's a guy in there playing guitar and there's a, a guy running the board and that's it for them. They come out. Hey, great. Yeah. Thanks for coming. Blah, blah, blah. Hey, we got another guy we're listening to. Can you just hang out out here in the hallway? I said, sure. If I remember correctly, I hung out about three or four hours in the hallway, waiting, no way. which is fine, which yeah. is fine. But I, I mean, I'd, I'd, 
I'd have waited a week, but I'm saying <laughs> I was just sitting there kind of like, you know, and I, I, by this time I've been through, I honestly had been through enough things and auditions that it didn't get ruffled about anything. I didn't care. I just say, keep quiet. Don't talk to anybody. Just go and play your guitar. You know, that's mm-hmm. the deal. Mm-hmm. So finally they come out and the guy they introduced me to him was Bob Kulick. Oh. Okay. That name's coming up, but that's Bruce's brother. Anyway, yep. who would later play anyway. So you know where the story goes, but that was yep. Bob playing with him. He walks out great, and they come in, and Paul says, "Here's a here's a chord. I got a Marshall out in the other room, and I had the, my Valiart Strat, and I had a volume Goodrich volume pedal, and a and a C1 course that I had Paul Rivera modify for me. That's what I had. I plugged it in. He said, he said it's in G, A bar solo. We'll scroll up the bridge. I'll count you in. I go okay. So you know he's over there singling me. You know, four, three, two, one, and I do one take. They give him another take." I, do another take and they stop the tape and Gene says, we dye your hair black. I said, sure. He goes, can you wear high heels? I said, I'll give it a try. <laughs> and they said, fuck me. And the producer looks at me. He was a guy named Michael James Jackson. He goes, dude, you're happening. Oh. That's the solo that everybody wants me to talk about. It's that second take of the audition. Never been played since. And that's the one that's on the record today. It's the solo on the song Creatures of the Night and the album Creatures of the Night. No way. And that's, that is the moment. Yeah. You know, so I mean, good, I nailed down. So, <laughs> you know, it was a, it was like Friday or Saturday. I can't remember. They said, "Oh man, don't do anything. Don't cut your hair. Whatever. Let's get together Tuesday the next, the next week or whatever." Uh-huh. So, man, I go home to my buddies in Van Nuys. We, you know, shared a shitty, you know, house and in, 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 in the hood, more or less. Not the bad hood, but not a great hood, you know. Right. And so, I went back then. I thought, God dang, I didn't even tell too many people. That. I was just like, keep your mouth shut. You know, mm-hmm. live it, you know. Mm-hmm. But so I, some of the other details I don't exactly remember. I went down and played for them some more, but the biggest detail I do remember is that maybe in a week, they uh, rented a room at SIR and said, uh, we, want to hear, we want to see how you play with the band. See how it goes, you know, live. Mm-hmm. Right? So they set up, and everybody's, they got their instruments, and Eric Carr's there, you know, and, and the two of them. And, and uh, I got my upstairs stuff, and we, they said, we want to hear you sing. And I said, now, now let, me, let me back up a minute. <laughs> this goes back to another story, actually. Okay. When I first got, and I could tell you that whole story, it would take some time, but the bottom line is a song, a band called Player, remember? Baby, yeah, come back. Yeah, sure, of course. Mm-hmm. Okay, when I first got to LA in 79, I ran into these guys at, Joseph, at a jam session at a place called Josephina's. Peter Beckett, the singer, said they were looking for a guitar player. I, I, I'm going to run through this one real quick. The, the point is, I went to play for them, they flipped out. I ended up working with them for a month, and then they had their manager come up to look at me and remind them they were looking for a 
lead singer because they've, they've lost uh, Crowley, who was one of the lead singers, mm. and I don't sing. That's, yeah. that's the bottom line of the story. I'm not okay. okay. So here's Kiss now saying, man, we got to hear you sing. I go, I'm like, already, oh, shit. <laughs> I lost that gig with Player like two years before, which was devastating because of the first brush I had with anything big, and I was calling everybody back in the <laughs> Back at home, you know, I mean, I got a gig with player. Anyway, right. so they said, uh, you know, you got to hear you sing. I said, man, I don't sing. And Paul said, I didn't think I used to, I didn't think I could sing either. And, you know, I got, and they were talking me into it. And I realized it's one of those moments that I thought, man, I'm either, either trying to sing this gig right now to yeah. maybe get the gig. But if I don't sing the gig, I don't got the gig. Yeah. So it's yeah. one of those, I'll give it a roll. So I have the dubious distinction of having played Honky Tonk Woman with Kiss with me singing lead vocal, and if I had a video of anything, I wish I had that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I met her in the bar room. Anyway, you know, <laughs> and it's uh, just terrible. I mean, you know, and I didn't hear from her for like a week and a half. And finally, Paul calls me and said, well, we don't think you're the right guy for the band, but we love your plans. So we want to keep hiring you to do sessions. So I went down and worked for him more on that record. I can't remember what else I played on. I played parts to this or that. I don't know. I don't remember. But the, the other thing that was going on right at that moment in time was I'd gotten to go audition for Eddie Money. And yes. That's another funny story because I auditioned with the band and Eddie wasn't there. He lived up in the Bay Area. And I, this is down in Playa del Rey, actually. And I impressed the musicians and I said, I got to call Eddie and have him come down here and hear you. So, great. Well, that's kind of a backdrop to this story too, but I, I, I knew guys that had played with, that, with Eddie because that's how I got the audition, actually. And and I was told, you know, they're going to be his management, which was Bill Graham, was going to be real hard ass on money and all mm -hmm. that stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, just hold your ground and all that shit. Anyway. Right. And they called me before Eddie even came down and started asking me about money to go on the road. Now, this is the funny thing. I'm arguing with those guys. I'm demanding 625 bucks a week instead of 600. Oh, man. <laughs> you know, oh. that's how little the money is. And I'm, boy, I'm holding out for the 25, man. Right. But anyway, when I get to, when Eddie shows up, he already, it's like, I, if I was in person with you right now, I'd do the imitation of Eddie shaking my hand for the first time, which was, hey, Eddie, it's Steve Ferris, and he kind of shakes my hand, looks the other way, and I said, looking the other way. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly how I picture Eddie Money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, perfect. And I, and I'm like, oh, shit. So then we, he goes, well, you know, he named the song is, you know, such and such? I go, no. But do you know such and such? I go, no. Well, what song do you know? I said, Man, I can play any of them. Just tell me what the chords are. Uh -huh. And, you know, that's what I'd done on the earlier audition, which they were, which the musicians are impressed with, you know, being able to learn fast. Right. But he was kind of like, oh, you don't know my songs. I played a couple. He said, well, can you come down tomorrow? I said, I can't, I can't, after, I can't until after 11 because I've got a session. Oh, he hated that. Uh -huh. So, so anyway, the long story short is I didn't get the gig with Eddie. Well, this kiss thing happened right after that. Then, as I'm not getting to with Kiss, I get a call back from those guys that say, this other guitar player hired, didn't know all the songs, didn't really working out. We want you to come back and re-audition, learn these three songs. So I go down and get the gig with Eddie. So both those things happen at the same time. I'm rehearsing with Eddie, and I'm going down playing on a Kiss's record. And I, I remember, I do remember the one day, it was a Saturday, I believe, and I'm down at the record plant working with Kiss, and I had to leave at 2 o'clock, catch my flight to go to Casper, Wyoming, mm -hmm. to play my first live gig with Eddie Money. <laughs> no way. Those were the days, bro. Those were the days. Wow. Now, okay, so I have let me ask you some, a couple follow-up questions. When you first went and you recorded that uh solo on the second take that got used in Creatures of the Night, was it just you in the room mm -hmm. with Paul and Gene? Were they the only and the yeah, Michael James Jackson? That's it. That's okay. It. The four of us just just that, yeah. Okay. Did you ever exactly. meet Ace 
Because I know, you know, he's on the Never. famously on the album cover, but doesn't actually contribute that much, if at all. Never met him. Okay. Never met him in my life. Okay. You know, I'll tell you who I have seen the rest of my life is Paul Jean. Really? I mean, this was the funny thing because, you know, a couple of years go by, whatever my career does, whatever it does. But Mr. Mr. on his second album, of course, has mm-hmm. all his hits and everything. And we are playing on the American Music Awards in 1986. I remember. And Paul Stanley is a presenter. Mm-hmm. And I see him backstage at rehearsal, and Paul gives me a hug. He says, Steve, man, great to see you. Boy, Gene, I've been watching your career. We're so happy for you. I mean, I was, I was, I was taken back. I was like, really, man? Like, yeah. you remember who I am, even yeah. one of those deals. Yeah. Well, he and I ended up kind of running around socially. We'd go out to Helena's, this nightclub and stuff. And really? We started hanging out a little bit, you know? Just for a minute, you know, and we, and, but even after that, here's a funnier story yet. I mean, years go by, Mr. And Mrs. Hit, and I have other things going in my career and everything, but I'm playing a, doing a record with Dolly Parton and mm. I want to say it was 91 or 92. I can't remember, but anyway, okay. and I, and, and, and at, at record one out in the Valley, we're having a listening party at the end of the completion of the album. As I'm walking into the studio, there's Gene Simmons walking in with a couple of girls. And I said, Gene. <sighs> Oh yeah, okay. Hey man, what's going on? Oh, I'm here working with with Dolly Parton. Oh, we're in there working with um. Oh my God, I can see his face. He he was Pink Floyd's producer. Why am I thinking his name? Uh, Alan Parsons. No, he had seen me play on my showcase after Mister Mister, and everything was kind of interested. He's he was a big guy. He was working with those guys. Okay. But but what I wanted to get to is, they come find me. I'm down in the studio with Dolly, drinking tequila and listening to her record. And they want me to introduce them to Dolly Parton. So I arrange an introduction. <laughs> I find myself introducing Dolly Parton to Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley and the producer. Bob Ezrin. But uh, thank you. Yes, gosh. So there's Bob Efron, who I'd met a few times. So I'm introducing, <laughs> I'm introducing Dolly to Bob Efron, you know, Gene Simmons, Paul Stanley, and I'm thinking how weird, how weird life is, right? Yeah. Well, I, uh, Bob Ezrin's a legend. He, but when I think yeah. of him, I think of the wall. And when you were talking about, right. I was thinking right. of him at, in the no, early nineties. I mean. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I'm okay. not snapping to the name. That's yeah. Me. Okay. No, I got it. Okay. Years, years go by. So you hung out socially with Paul. Is he a total womanizer or is he, uh, cause you know, there's rumors that he's secretly gay and all this stuff, which never Oh, okay. Actually... Well, I'll tell you where I'll go with this. I'll okay. just go that he liked, he liked women. That's why I know. Okay. Okay. That's, okay. Okay. That's all I know. Good. I've heard that said about him and everything, but I know he liked women. So Yeah. Okay. You know. As a matter of fact, we go to Helena's and we're like, that's what we're doing. We're chasing the girl. Got it. We're chasing it. skirt. I figured. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I, get, I, yeah. I know that's yeah. an insensitive question to ask, but I would never have the opportunity, I don't think, to ever ask it to someone who would know. And so I... I took yeah, the opportunity. I mean, you know, I've heard him say that. And I think you know, there's some of that, I think there's some of that androgynous action that people right. do that kind of rock and some of this. And I, I really, I honestly wouldn't know any more than that. I would get yeah. into it if I did. Good. That way, yeah. So. That's my feeling too. I don't, I've never gotten the yeah. gay vibe entirely, but I know it's yeah. out there. Yeah. And I know. But people, I do know he likes women. Yeah. Okay. Go. Good. Good. Now, As a matter of fact, you want to know a really funny story? Yeah, I do. This is so freaking weird, man. Oh, I don't know if I want to tell it. Nah. <laughs> you think about it, and if you decide you want to, tell me, and we'll we'll get to it. I want to. I guess I want to use the name. Or tell me, and if you music awards. Yeah, tell me, and if you don't want to, we'll cut it out. Out of the blue, he goes, "Hey, I met blah blah blah." And I go, "Who's that?" He goes, <laughs> "Blah blah blah." I go, "Not blah 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 last name." <laughs> and he goes, "Yeah." I go, 
my high school fucking girlfriend, you met her? <laughs> and he goes, yeah. I said, where the fuck did you meet her? He goes, on the plane between Minneapolis and New York. I said, you got to be kidding. And there, he dated her. He dated your that? high school girlfriend. Yeah, just a bit, just a couple times. Honestly, I started dating her again later in life a few times, and I've been in touch with her over uh-huh. many, many years. I, 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 don't, I think she, they went out a couple times, but they met on a plane, and I thought, my God, no the world's way. Now, she's not some famous you. person we should know or no. something, is she? Uh-uh. Not in the biz at all. Wow. Uh-uh. Wow. A very nice-looking girl always was. That was okay. school that is amazing. That's a crazy story. Yeah. I can't think of any super details to ask about Kiss. You pretty much expressed it all. I assume you were pretty brokenhearted <laughs> when you didn't get this job. And did you ever, well, he know, mentioned man. using you again. I don't, know, I don't again. know about that. Here's the, I don't know about that, man. I okay. Mean, I think I was more brokenhearted when I didn't get player because it was early on. Mm-hmm. By, the, mm-hmm. by the time, this was two or three years. I moved there to 79, this is 82. So, you know, the way to survive, I don't know if it's the same, probably the same now, but I always have said, and used to say in those interviews back when I was in the mix, you know, but uh-huh. I, you have to adopt this sort of jaded thing. You have to say, if one out of every 10 things that's supposed to happen actually happens, I'm doing great because mm. everything is not going to happen. Yeah. Now, some people write that off as pessimism. I say, no, 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 that's survival. Yeah. Yeah. That, let, that makes you get up and keep going and not give a shit because most things don't come together. And that's, that can almost be true in a lot of life. That's very but, true. But I mean, you know, hey, man, I mean, that city moves fast. I mean, back then it was that city. I don't know. Yeah. But I mean, you know, the business was a bit, man, there was, but there was a lot of shit going on back then. Right. I mean, there was other opportunities around the door. And I mean, Especially for session people like you. I mean, that industry is largely yeah, yeah, dried that, up. I mean, that you was, could have made I mean, a living. I was, lucky. Yeah. I was lucky to be there in that era when that stuff really happened, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I mean, and it doesn't happen quite like that anymore. But anyway, the, the point I would make is that there was a lot of different things going on. And, you know, here's the deal. When I got, I, I, I did nothing with Kiss, and I got the Eddie Money gig when I was six months. And they came back, Maddie. And you go through your Rolodex and you're making phone calls from, you know, mm-hmm. back then it was, it wasn't even a Palm Pilot, you know, it was your Rolodex. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'm just calling everybody, everybody, you know, mm-hmm. trying to stay alive, trying to stay in there. Hey man, what's going on? Bubble. I talked to a guy named George Giz who had managed a band called, called Pages. Mm, sure. Precursor to, to yep. Mr. Mr. And I'll get back to that. But the point I was going to say, and I'll come back to this, but is, you know, you, you have to get, I got, so I was nailing every audition. That's mm-hmm. kind of what, you have to get where, I don't know if you become that much of a better player, you become that much of a better auditioner. Mm. You have to go in and be able to go like, I got to nail this moment in a certain way and know how to get the gigs, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. And, and there was, there was, so there was a run for me kind of in that era, 82, 83 era, when I was just nailing everything. Yeah. And I was turning down some things even, you know, mm-hmm. um, I'd go audition and they'd want, and I, I was like, I don't know, you know? And, I mean, what, 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 one thing that happened, back to that story, and you tell me if I'm just talking to no, you. No, this is gold. I love it. You know, I talked to George Giz, and he managed to play, um, I'm starting to play, uh, Pages. Pages, yeah. And Pages kind of was, you know, they were a musician's band, and I'd gone mm-hmm. to see him at the Troubadour, and they were great, and I had their second album and all that. I'd met Steve George one time, the keyboard player. Anyway, George Giz says, hey, man, Rich and Steve are thinking of putting a new thing together. You know, some checking it out. I go, yeah. So I got out to Richard Page's house and got La Crescenta. I'm trying to think where the hell it was. La Cunata. That's where okay. it was. Uh-huh. Anyway, La Cunata, California. I go out there and there's a drummer and a bass player auditioning, but it was Steve George and, and Richard Page. Well, I hit it off with the two of them. The other two guys 
didn't make that cut. So mm-hmm. then we went about the business of looking for a bass player and drummer for a couple months. And then I, through Kim Bullard, still one of my best friends who's currently playing keys with Elton John, still working, God bless him. Mm-hmm. But anyway, he was one of my first buddies. By the way, I was in player, actually. That's, that's good. Oh, but wow. I called Kim and I said, hey, man, we need drummer bass player. She says, remember Pat Masolato used to play with Holly Penfield? Hmm. And she was a big signing back in those days that didn't actually go anywhere, but she was a big deal for a minute. Anyway, I said, yeah, I remember him. I played with I auditioned for Holly and didn't get the gig. Mm-hmm. And he goes, oh, Pat's a great drummer. I called Pat. And he said, yeah, I'll bring a bass player. Great. So then we get together at some little rehearsal studio in Studio City. Well, that bass player doesn't show up, but Pat does. Hmm. And the bass player apparently left some message about he had a toothache, blah, blah, blah. Well, I don't remember his name, but he became the Pete Best of Mr. Mister because we we heard you could hear Pat playing. You're like, well, this fucker's good. We got to yeah. We got to see where this goes. Right. And Richard Page kind of guy plays a little of everything, you know. So yeah. there's a bass in the room. He's, huh. and we were doing like straight eighth note bass, new wave stuff in that first album, you know. Like that, 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 so you know, the plan that. was not for Richard to be the no. bass player. Uh uh-uh. He was not just going to be a front man. No. Wow. Well, he was going to play some keys. Okay. Which was his principal instrument. He was going to maybe some really guitar. He was out front. Okay. So we could man, we got to audition Pat. Rich had written the songs with Steve. All those songs at that point were rich by, written by those guys. Mm-hmm. And so he just played bass along with Pat. And we looked at each other and said, why, why do we want five guys instead of four? <laughs> he literally went out and bought a bass the next day and a half. No that's way. True story. Wow. Yep. I would never have guessed. So, no, that's it. And huh. so then he became the bass player, and then we started rehearsing. We rehearsed for a couple more months. And they had, because they sold some money in their bank account from the Pages days or some payoff of a record deal after an option got got let go or something. But anyway, mm-hmm. they had a little cash. And so we put it on a big showcase at, uh, again, at SIR where we had just invited record companies. We read a super trap sound and lights and put on a big, you know, big showcase instead of going out and beating the, the clubs or anything. You know? mm-hmm. And, you know, we had them all come down and we had five labels biting the first time we played. You know, this is, mm-hmm. I got to tell you, I've been in a million bands in my life, yeah, you know, at right, this point. Right. And, you know, a lot before then. And I, I can tell you, Mr. Mister was a really solid band. Mm-hmm. It was like, I mean, we hardly ever had off nights. Uh, honestly, I, I mm-hmm. sound braggadocious, but I'm, I'm talking as a band. I'm just saying, sure. It was just, I knew, mm-hmm. I knew when we started rehearsing, something was going on. Something is going on. And yeah. This yeah. Is, and I mean, it felt special. I even had, you know, I, I played with Kenny Loggins and I mean, I auditioned for him and I was over at his house. Even we're playing, the riff to Footloose before he made that oh, record. You know? Oh, and he and I are up in his bedroom playing that fucking thing. And no way, started, I love he, Kenny. He started talking to me about, about going on the road with him, and I and he knew Rich and Steve because they'd sung backgrounds on his records, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I remember he even said to me, uh, you know, somehow you want you want to you know was talking about whether they go on the road. I said, God, I don't know this thing with Rich or Steve, man. It's really sound good. He goes, I'm not asking you to marry me just to go on the road. And I remember he said that to me. <laughs> And I said, I don't know. Now, mind you, I have to, I have to qualify this with. At the end of the day, he didn't offer me the gig. He gave it to Buzzfeed. He was a great guitar mm-hmm. player, the guy I know very well. Yeah. So I didn't actually get the offer, but he was talking about it. Right. But the point was, I was just kind of thinking, I, I don't want to leave this thing behind. Some, something's mm-hmm. special about this man. It wasn't called. It wasn't called anything at the time. It was just rehearsing. Huh. But well, let me ask you. Anyway. Let me ask you this: Was it a democracy from the beginning, or were you always? the band that's supporting Richard Page, this new front man. No, and, and the question answers somewhere between the two. Because okay. Rich and Steve, you have to know, were partners in songwriting and 
doing background sessions, they go back to Phoenix together. Okay. Mm-hmm. So did the manager, George Gibbs. So they, they had a history way back. Got it. And, you know, then the other band, Pages. Now, between the two, Steve George, who we always call Slug, Slug was the, is the quiet guy, and Rich is the, you know, the not mm-hmm. quiet guy, mm-hmm. the outgoing mm-hmm. guy. But they had a team, and they, I mean, they had a writing team and everything else. Now, when Mr. Mystery was formed, Pat and I came in, and honestly, we came in like, we had, I'll tell you, I don't give a shit. We had mm-hmm. the same lawyer that had done Fleetwood Mac when, when Lindsey Buckingham and, and Stephen Hicks. Thank Steve, you. Yeah. <laughs> when they joined, when they joined, because Fleetwood Mac was around, shit, Peter Green was in Fleetwood Mac. Right. Today, right. you know. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, when they started that, we had the same kind of deal. It was an escalating deal without mm-hmm. going into details. By the second record, we were all equal splits and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Now, I mean, if you want to get down to legalities, I guess you know Rich, Rich and Steve were partners that a little more. So. But we we split everything equally, and 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 that was and even in terms of writing, and I think this is an important thing. Important, it's a point worth making is that no matter how it was set up on the second record, we co-wrote all that stuff. You like, did okay. That was yeah, going to be my three, question. I mean, there's three songs. There's three songs that I brought in. You know that I wrote at home and brought in. Uh-huh. Well, actually, Steve George got together with me on a couple, and then the band helped finish them out. There was songs that they started, and then the band helped finish them out. There was all kinds of combinations on an album, but that album was jointly written. And that, okay. that, that's an important distinction, I think, about Mr. Mister that, you know, made, that angered me later, and I think was a, a thing that worked against us. And I'll get to that, and I'm not, it's not bad blood. I'm just saying, mm-hmm. that was when we really collaborated and we also, the record company, Paul Atkinson, God rest his soul, he was our A&R guy. And Paul had uh, decided to keep us. The options years ago, back then, it was a seven-record deal. One album, they could keep you for two more. They could keep you for two more, keep mm-hmm. you for two more. Their mm-hmm. options, right? Mm-hmm. They said they'd go farther with it, even though we hadn't sold any records on the first album. And we wanted to, because we had a lot of record experience. Well, particularly Rich and Steve had a lot of record experience. And Pat, some, I probably had the least. Okay. But... They said, you know, man, let's get somebody, an engineer, whatever, to co-produce. We'll do it that way. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, we'll cut loose some money. We'll start that way. Well, through Mark Jordan, uh, another artist, we, he, I think it was Mark, and it's it Paul de Villiers, who was at that time doing live sound for Yes. Mm-hmm. So we went down to Irvine Meadows and saw him, and it was like incredible live sound, like very musical, like hitting things on musical cues and stuff. Oh, cool. Well, we met with Paul, and we went in. So we went in, we cut four songs with Paul. Started him anyway. One of those was Broken Wings. Baby, don't understand why we can't just hold on to each other's hands. This time might be. Take 
Front Wings, Black Whites. I'm trying to think which were the first four. Maybe Don't Slow Down. I can't remember. Okay. But, but the point was, they came in love and said, keep going. And so that's how we did that record. We co-produced it. And I, you know, and in honesty, through arguing and fighting or whatever, we all were making that record. Okay. As a matter of fact, I would tell you that I was probably the guy that spent more hours down there when Mick Gazowski was mixing the record than anybody else because I was worried that they turned my guitars down. <laughs> of course <laughs> you they were. Right. They would have. Yeah. Lucas and I used to jo- always laugh about that. And there's totally, you know, they just, you know, keyboard type guys that guitars are supposed to be loud. But anyway, I stayed there the whole time. I was around when Mike Shipley was mixing the other four, Broken Wings and Is It Love. And, but I stayed down there, you know, I was just involved. And we used to go out to, into my Jeep Cherokee, my Concord <laughs> cassette player, and, and check mixes. Uh-huh. At, uh, at, well, we did some at Ocean Way. We did, we were mixing at, uh, fuck, where were we mixing Conway, I think. Anyway. But the point, just the point was, it was very collaborative. I guess you could weigh in who did more of this and that. But basically, the band was writing all, in different, in different combinations of people, the band was writing all the music. And then Rich and John Lang, the guy uh-huh. not in the band, but a, uh, a childhood lifelong friend and partner, I mean, I said part, writing partner, sure. Rich, was, they wrote all the lyrics. That, okay. was, that was the team. That okay. Was the, team. the band, including Rich, did all the music and Mel, and most of Melody's probably come from Rich more than anything. Okay. So um, you have a co-writing credit on those three big hits. Not a few big hits. I got seven songs on, on Go on Walk in the Real World. Unfortunately, neither of them are Curator is or or uh, Broken Wings. Okay, that was going to be my question because I'm looking at the album uh, on uh, AllMusic.com, and your name is not listed as a writer on Broken Wings, Curier, or Is It Love? that I wish I would have written are Broken Wings and Curie. Of course. Because those are the ones that make money. Yes. <laughs> Still. <laughs> There's so much contribution of everybody yeah. in Mr. Mister that it sort of becomes a wash. And, and you know, how would you know Broken Wings is going to be the hit? Maybe I should have spoken up and say, man, I want some writing on that, you know. Mm-hmm. I noticed Pat got some later. I didn't even know he got some. But, you know, it's... It, the, and that's how, that's how... That's that's business. That's how it goes. Yeah. But the point was... It was a very collaborative record. And the next album, I just want to put it in the right way. We, he and I got in a real knockdown drag out when we started rehearsing go on about it. And he really wanted to have, do more of it without anybody else helping him. And I will go on far. But we worked, kind of worked through that. It was less collaborative than, than the Welcome to the Real World. Oh, yeah. hmm. 
And I hated the mixes on it. I don't care if anybody says it. I, I said that then. Yeah. I knew when I was listening, I was on Long Beach. I was at Montauk, New York, listening to the mixes after they've been mistered. And I said to my friends, I go, it's over. Really? You know what I said, we're, do- we're done. You could tell they, just they, from they the mixes? Or was it because the oh, yeah. songs weren't as strong or what? No, no. I thought the songs were okay. And I thought the grooves were even better than, than I thought the grooves and the performances were really good on it. The mixes were hollow. They were super hi-fi. They didn't have any mids. and They were punching it. It was the opposite of any rock. It was it yeah. was more that thing, which is where Rich really wanted to go. Huh. And see, here's the thing. Then I want to credit Rich and Steve. They're brilliant. I always knew that. They are. Mm-hmm. But, but the thing about the combination of Rich and Steve and me and Pat being more rock guys mm-hmm. was why it worked, mm-hmm. you know? And that's why Welcome to the Real World, I believe, works. Mm-hmm. Now, when Rich asserted a little more power, and by the way, you need to know, the record company changed dramatically, and the mm-hmm. people that were there weren't the same people that were there before, and they were really catering to just talking to the singer. Okay, I don't know if that was even Rich's fault. It just kind mm-hmm. of started going that way. Okay, and that as things go, you know, but that record got mixed in a way that, for me, for my taste, I listened to it. And I thought it's got no balls. Mm-hmm. Scott, it's not, it's not kicking me. And yeah. I, I remember when I was doing guitar overdubs, I'm trying to think which song it was. I had a friend that was playing with uh, Dawkins or something. I'm trying to think. He was, in, he was in a studio next to us. He was, you know, a heavy metal guy. Mm-hmm. And I remember bringing him a guitar player. And I brought him in. And I'm, we're listening. He goes, this is, this is killing. I mean, it was rocking. Mm-hmm. Same record. Whoa, so By really? the end of it, we're fighting about mixes. Oh, yeah. Mm. By the end of it, we're fighting about mixes and guitar parts, not using as much guitar, and certainly not mixing with those lower mids and stuff, you know, the stuff yeah. that, 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 that kills it. It was very, it was hi-fi, real, yeah. lo, real top end and real low end and nothing in the middle. I mean, it's just how it went. And I knew, yeah. and I, I didn't think, I, you know, it's a sense, because you got to understand something about me. I'll tell anybody, I never listened to lyrics when I was in my 30s and I hardly listen to them now. Mm-hmm. I don't really care about it. Itself. Me neither. Yeah. It's a magical feeling about music to me that's everything else. That's mm-hmm. where I come from. Mm-hmm. It's the groove, it's the energy, it's, it's harmony. It's the harmony of notes against chords. It's it's a number of things, and for me, lyrics come in way last. So right. I would say, man, if I was going to care about lyrics, I'd sit around and read, you know. <laughs> right. But right. Uh, anyway, but anyway, the point being, it wasn't communicating to me, and you know, and then we went in and one by one tried to remix every single to try to get it up mm. happening, and I talked them into using Nico Bolas to remix "Stand and Deliver" mm. because I'd been working with Nico.
Nico comes in and makes a more rock mix out of that because it was going in the movie that they renamed. <laughs> that movie was called Walking on Water. And then they renamed really? Because of Deliria. your song? Well, because he liked the song. No he way. The song and Edward, uh, Edward James almost liked it, and they renamed the movie. That's, that's gospel truth. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. For whatever reason, man. I don't, yeah. I don't know if we need to take credit. Just, sure. That's where they decided it was a better name. Anyway, and then we remixed it for that, and, and I, I'll never forget sitting in the room with Nico after he mixed it and Paul Atkinson, our A&R guy, who I'd been screaming about we need to not use these mixes with the other mixes, as if he'd completely forgot any conversation I ever had with him said, God, I wish we'd use Nico for the whole record. Anyway, the point was, man, then the next album, in honesty, you know, Rich really was wanting to write the whole thing himself and not even write with Steve. And hmm. and I just said, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm done. Yeah. And so I bailed on the band. That's, that's when I left the band. Okay. So um, this... This kind of fits a little bit of the narrative I had in my head. My impression all along has been that the first album, I Wear the Face, comes out and it's got the Hunters of the Night. song but that's that album to me sounds sort of flimsy it sounds almost a little well, kind of homemade you know light light yes well light. here's the thing man light you want me to tell you about it yeah you know here's the thing man i we didn't you know rich and steve had written the songs and i think there's a lot of great songs in there mm-hmm. i think they're great writers they're talented guys man. right so we're learning and we're coming up with you know guitar i'm coming we all always came up with our own parts always you know we just mm-hmm. came up with what we're playing that's why that band was good there's everybody thought in a great mentality like session guys, really. But right. anyway, that stuff was so rehearsed because we were rehearsing it over and over to go get our deal and mm-hmm. we showcased. And after we got the five labels interested, we did more showcases for other labels and ended up signing. I mean, Clive Davis, we'll not just look at it, us by himself. And we did one for mm-hmm. him. And, mm-hmm. you know, we knew those songs in and out. Mm-hmm. And they were blowing away people. Like when we did it, we actually played a little club. I can't remember the name of it. It's Studio City. It's come and gone. But, be through Rich and Steve's context. I mean, you know, the guys from Toto were out there and Kenny Long was out there and Alex Rowe was out there and all these people came out to see us. I mean, we were blown away. I mean, those are some of the most memorable nights of my life because we were blowing everybody away. I mean, they'd come backstage and like, this band, man, what? And they were those songs that were I Wear the Face. Mm-hmm. And so when we did the record, oh, I feel like I'm just bad-mouthing people. I don't want to do that. <laughs> it got lost in the production. Let's mm-hmm. just put it that okay. way. Yeah. It, it, got, it got worn out and it got sonically very strange hmm. and just lost all its energy and it does it sounds yeah. light and wimpy yeah. period yeah that's kind of what it. i thought we knew too. It then. really we knew yeah. it then man. oh yeah yeah oh yeah so that it was a 
it really was a disaster as an album, and it's too bad because those songs are better than that. Yeah, I agree. They really are. And um, and I that have kind of seen us play. Have you just seen us play them live? Well, you're just kicking ass with them. I mean, they were really? live songs. They were, it was the new wave era, you know. The little, those grooves were, you know, that era. Uh huh. In 1983. But if you'd seen us live, you wouldn't. Have, you would. And and people did. They saw us live in the new records. So, well, you know what happened? Yeah. You know, yeah. One of those deals. Yeah. But you got to live through that, man. Those things happen to a lot of artists, man. I could see that. Sure. So, so yeah, so this album comes out and I'm guessing the label, now hear me out. This is my theory on your career, basically. The label's thinking, we've got these guys and the songs are strong, but that album didn't hit. Let's let's put a lot of power and muscle behind making a very radio-friendly pop rock record that is as good as we guys, as we know these guys to be. And that's what the second album is. And then you guys, well, because, not, well not quite really. Okay. So let me finish my theory. So then my thinking is that because the four of you are essentially kind of session musicians and session musicians tend to favor, I don't know if prog is the right word, but they like very musical sounding, you know, they right. like the instrumentation. They don't, like it's not about cops. Com- a little bit of complex. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Sure. And so then sure. go on comes around and you guys are so empowered by your success that it's like, no, we're going to make the album we want to make now. And we're going to be as uh. complex and complicated in our arrangements as we want. We're still going to give you songs that sound good on the radio, but they're not going to be as sleek as the last album was. They're going to be what we want. And <laughs> that's how I envisioned this. You ready? Yeah. I'm ready. Uh, you're, you're sort of close, but here's there's a shift on what you're thinking happened. Okay. First album sucks. And so, but the next album was the band making the album the way we wanted to make the album. That was all as you. a band. That was not a label saying, let's make this together. Us and Paul all, all us and Paul DeVillier. Good for no, you. No, they just thought it was great. Great. Good for you, man. No, that's, that's the absolute story. And anybody missed from this will tell you the same thing. Good. That was us. And the, and the point I made earlier is that was us, all four of us, mm-hmm. and the fifth one being Paul DeVille, and the sixth one being the lyric writer, John. That was us, man. Okay. And we had to prove ourselves a label, and they just kept sending money and said, it's great. Mm. And, and and here's the other story. Jose Menendez, man. Okay? Really? Uh-huh. The famous famous murder story, right? Oh. Right? Uh, Eric and whatever okay. Menendez. Yeah, the Menendez yeah, well, Jose, Jose was our Jose was our champion at RCA. Oh, really? Oh, wow. We knew Jose very, very well. No not way. Not for Jose, Mr. Mr. may not have happened. Whoa. Okay. So Jose, because because there were there were like seven different presidents of RCA at the time we were there, and they were just coming and going. But Jose came in because he'd been running Hertz Rent-A-Car, also owned by RCA. Uh-huh. That was a business powerhouse. And next thing you know, he's running RCA. We meet him, and he's this smooth, you know, Cuban corporate shark, basically. Uh-huh. uh-huh. And we, we used to go, I mean, he was, we were, we were his boys. Hey, I was my boys. He had a little bit of a Cuban accent. Uh-huh. And I mean, the meeting went down, you know, while we we're doing Welcome to the Real World, there was, at different times, you think of different songs, you're going to be the first single. Mm-hmm. I was happy because Uniform Youth was going to be the first single for a minute.
and don't slow down. I mean, for those songs that I wrote, right. I wrote the, the basis of those two, you know, and uh-huh. I was like, great, great, but they didn't become, and then at one point, it's going to be something else, and we weren't happy with it. I can't remember what it was, but so George and Richard Page go down to have a meeting with Jose and the gang at RCA. And we had said we got to have a united front. We want it. We want black, white, peace first thing. They leave and they go out of the meeting to come out and go, we're releasing Broken Wings the first thing. <laughs> <laughs> what happened? Well, they went through it all and Jose looks up and says, what's the best song on the album? They go, Broken Wings. He goes, we're releasing Broken Wings. Oh, wow. So Jose had a vested interest in this and Broken Wings took a long time to get going and he could have pulled the plug, but he didn't. Mm-hmm. He said, we're going to make this happen. So I owe a lot of my career to Jose Mendoza. That is crazy. And I, met those, and I met those kids when they were 13, 14 years old before they killed them. I mean, no we way. went to the eulogy and stuff before they knew they were the murder. I mean, I, that's a whole other deal. My buddies from high school and I were at a place called Steamboat, whatever, in uh, at uh, Austin, Texas. Right? We were riding around with Jose in a limo and going out and dancing with chicks. I mean, I... Oh, yeah, no it's way. All, it's all, my wife and I watch that show about them. And I go, wow, yeah. those fuckers, you know? Oh, that's far out. Anyway, but anyway, that's that. But 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 back to what we're talking about. No, the label we did that record. The difference on Go On, it, that that one to me and Richard Page is wonderful. This is where I don't want to go. I don't want to say. Yeah. I always had utmost respect for him, and, and at the end of the day, I love him. You know. Mm-hmm. But he and I fought like cats and dogs because they have a different view and direction of things. We did fight. We'd mm-hmm. yell at each other just about come to blows. But I mean, that was me and Rich. Yeah. But, you know, we expect each other at the same time. Sure. But the point was, there was that moment on Go On where everybody was listening to him. Hmm. So instead of it reflecting four people's views, it just started reflecting one person's views. And that's how Rich, that's the part, that's the record Rich would make hmm. more than what we would make. Got it. You with me? Yep. And that's the fucking truth, man. Yeah. That is the fucking truth. Rich to this day tells you that's his favorite album we've done. Yeah, I, uh, I'm, well, I'm not surprised because it sounds like he ran the show, you know? So he didn't tell me. I, I, I'm not going to give him that. It was just, it was sure. just like by mixed time and stuff. Mm-hmm. He was just, the record company, Bob Buziak, he came in from management and ran that RCA in the ground. He was gone after a while, but, but he was just, I mean, he wouldn't even, I don't think they ever said hi to us. Really? Just always talked to Rich. It was just a whole different scene, man. Weird. Just whole different. And, you know, I mean, it's Eurythmics. Dave Stewart walked into him one time. We don't make any more records for you, motherfucker. I mean, it was... Really? It was just RCA got really weird, man. And Starship, oh, too. They were like the three big acts. On. Yeah. But that's 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 really sort of how it went. And that's that's why I left the band. Because I looked at Rich. 
we were doing some TV. We'd been to South America, and he was on a freedom fighter thing. I mean, we got in trouble with the South American government. <laughs> and I said, uh, I remember we were doing some TV show back in Hollywood, and we were talking about getting together rights. And he said to me, he said, you know, I've really been liking what I've been writing by myself. And I'm like, really? Mm-hmm. I said, well, you would have been poised to make a Phil Collins record, but we still could have been Genesis. Mm-hmm. That was when I said, well, I'll have my letter sent over the That's yeah. what happened. And then the Pole album never even came out. Welcome to the garden Statues stare with eyes of stone I offer you these roses Feel the cut of everyone We keep falling I don't know why Like rain falling down from the sky I mean, I listen to it on, on no. YouTube, but it's, you know, a bootleg or whatever. It's um, And you're not on there. Yeah. Okay. No, I have nothing to do with it. You know, and I'll tell you what happened. They got they got Paul DeVillier back to engineering. A couple, really? By the way, I worked with him a couple of years ago after 30 years. I like to ask her, but South African, extremely artist, artistic guy, and he was really a big part of Welcome to the Real World. Mm. And they wouldn't let him do go on. They wouldn't wait for him. He was doing big generator with Yes, so they wouldn't oh. wait for him to do Go on. Mm. We ended up with Kevin Killen because he'd done so. Peter Gabriel and 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 oh, Joshua Tree sense. and all that. Yes. And he was great, man. I like sure. Kevin, but I, he shouldn't have mixed it. That's all. Okay. He shouldn't have mixed it. He cut it well. He they should have had a a guy that likes aggression mixing it. That, that is but so anyway. interesting. You say that because just yeah, go out. Go on would be in the same camp as so and Joshua Tree and Real World would be in yeah. the same camp as Big Generator. That makes a lot of sense, huh? Yeah. One of the things yeah. you mentioned but now. I can tell, but I can tell you, I used to have mixes off, like board mixes when we were making go on. They were killing. Really? Because I think we played I think we played better then. We were an older band. The grooves mm-hmm. were tighter than shit. Mm-hmm. The takes were great. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just like, man, this thing's freaking smoking. And then when we got mixed, it was like, yeah. Uh, Sounds like my mom's and dad's version of the record. You know? Yeah, yeah. You know, you saying anyway, all but, this. Uh, let me interject one thing. It's always been said that Richard was invited to join Chicago when Peter Cetera yeah. left and he turned it down. And you saying yeah. this makes sense because he probably didn't, he probably thought that Mr. Mister was going to become his own vehicle for his own. And that was his trip at the time. And well, joining Chicago, gotta, he wouldn't have had that kind of you, leadership maybe or power. Yeah, but you got you to you have the timing of this because – you know, Toto wanted him to sing in Toto. Uh-huh. Chicago wanted him to sing in Chicago. That was all before we hit with Mr. Mister. Oh, that, I that didn't was early, that was early on. Okay. Yeah, that wasn't. Yeah, no, no, that was early days. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, but, uh, okay. You know, and I mean, I, like I saw Rich a couple of years ago. He was playing in Lincoln with 
Ringo and like I said, Joe It's just great to see him, man. I mean, sure. he and I had lots of laughs on the bus. We always got along great. It's just we had different visions about mm-hmm. musically where things should go. Sure. And I think, I, and, and that's not even, I'm not even faulting him. He just, he needed to make a solo record, man. Yeah. Yeah. Aside from us, that's yeah. what he needed to do. Yeah. Sounds like it. And, and you know, he eventually did one and I played guitar on one song. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Years later. That's great. Um, uh, I played Wawa guitar on something for him. I can't remember. But. Okay. All right. Um, you know, and, and, and Paul DeVillier called me when they were doing poll. Well, he was, I just worked with him two years ago and he was saying, he brought it up again. He was going through all this hash and through all this stuff. He said, yo, I told Rich and Steve, you got to kiss and make up with Ferris to get it back here. He's a big part of the sound. And they almost, they almost resented hearing that. You know, he told mm-hmm. me, I'm like, you know, I, I'm the guy, I, I'm a guy that says, Hey man, the four of us seem to got something going on. Mm-hmm. You know, why right, do we really fuck right. this up? Yeah. Nobody gets to do what we did, man. Right. Nobody gets to do this. I mean, you know, in the percentage of people who want to play some music, how many people get to do what we did? Nobody. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a small, small group. So I always look at it like, hey, man, this is the e-ticket Disneyland and don't screw it up. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I think other people, not just, people can tend to think, oh, the world's discovered me and now it's all going to work. Well, uh, not necessarily. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Now, uh, a couple of questions that came in. Now, I've been inserting, for anyone who's listening and wondering where their question is, I've tried to just basically insert them into casual, natural conversation here. But um, one thing that came up from another couple of my listeners was the um, if there was an impression or a sense out there that because of Broken Wings that you guys were a Christian band. Um, And speaking of Healing Waters, that has sort of a, you know, it's got a gospel sort of spiritual side to it. Were you a Christian band or were you, was it, were you inserting it, spiritual messages into your songs? What was the standing now, with that? Now I feel like it's back in the day. Cause I had that, we had that question all the time. In the really? Years. But it really comes from Curie. Yeah. Curie or that's the that one I meant. I'm sorry. Not broken. Yeah. Words. Curie. Yeah. Well, You're because right. Curie Laison was in Catholic. I'm, I'm Catholic. I meant to growing say Growing up, that. we used to say Latin. We, it was Curie Laison, Christie Laison. Mm-hmm. But Rich, and I didn't write that, but Rich and, and, John Lang wrote the lyrics like they did everything. Mm-hmm. And they just, that, the, the standard answer, which is the true answer we used to give is, well, we aren't a Christian man per se. That song, what does that song mean? It means 
Lord have mercy. Well, Kyrie eleison means Lord have mercy on us. Okay, mm-hmm. that's what mm-hmm. it means. Mm-hmm. So Kyrie eleison, it's Lord have mercy on us as we walk down the road of life. That mm-hmm. is the theme of the song. Okay, mm-hmm. so that's that's that answer. Though none, I don't think anybody's atheist, and Mister Mister, mm-hmm. you know. But but at the same time, then Healing Waters comes along. And I'll tell you a story about Healing Waters. That was a, those chord changes and all that grew. I had that groove for two years, probably. That, and I used to play it for it. He didn't had no interest in it. Hmm. And I said, "Come on, man, we should do this." You know, all the chord changes and stuff. And it was my sort of my thing. And then finally, there was one day in rehearsal. He latched on with the melody, and of course, that's what it takes. And then he got a hold of it. And he wrote the melody and all that. So mm-hmm. that song only has, I think, four writers on it, meaning John Lang, Rich, me, and. I think Steve George is on it, yeah. yeah. But here's the funny thing. That didn't make the the 10 song CD cut. It made the longer version when we had 12 songs mm. on it or whatever. Okay. But here's the funny thing. Then I got a Grammy nomination for it. So <laughs> we've had two Grammy nominations from Mr. Mr. One was Best Performance by a Group or Duo with Vocal. That was for Broken Wings. And uh-huh. oddly, we lost to We Are the World. Can you imagine that? Oh, anyway. wow. Hmm. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> I guess. And then... Uh, and then the next year on Go On, we were up for Best Gospel Song, Healing Waters. No way. And I'm like, no shit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so I have a Grammy nomination. Wow. Waters, best Gospel Song. You put a black choir on a song, and it's immediately gospel no matter what, I guess. Yeah, huh? but you know, exactly. But it, it need, I mean, we dug, we all were like, this has got to have a choir, man. Sure, I love it. Come in, all oh, these, yeah. We're swinging. You know what, man? Here's the funny thing. You know, you, you may have picked up on it. My hunting is my big passion. Okay. Even the business I'm in now. But I was in Arkansas. Hunting. There's a guy down there that's a big deal with hunting. I got big... Every time I go down there, he, he plays that. He plays Mr. Mr. Shit over the radio. I mean, over the stereo, whether I want him to or not. And he, he was playing Healing Waters last time I was down there. And I was listening to it going like, damn, that's good. Because, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, you don't sit around listening. But once in a while, yeah. somebody will force you to listen to this old stuff you've created. And they go... God dang, it's solid, man. Yeah. We listen, I was going right. I guess solid. Solid <laughs> shit. <man. laughs> That's great. Okay, so I want to I want to ask you a couple questions about the impact of success, and that was another thing. That's something we try to cover in here sensitively is the business side of things and the transitions uh-huh. in people's lives. You know, you're you go from being a struggling musician who, uh, you know, through I Wear the Face, this album that you think is good but doesn't turn out the way you want, so you're still basically a struggling musician. And then right. suddenly, just three big hits in a row. You're li- right. now you uh, unfortunately you don't have a writing credit on these songs, but your yeah, life well, had to change drastically. Oh yeah, no, it's not, it's not just about writing and those things. When yeah, you're in the band, man. It's not just about writing. Was, yeah, man, it's it's massive. It's massive, man. I mean, people will lock into this day. I say, is it really that? I say, yeah, it's really that. Yeah. it's really that. It's yeah. all that. But it happens. It's like. It's all your Christmases have come at once. It, it, it's sort of crazy, man. Uh-huh. I mean, we had two number ones in a row, so there was a real big burst for us when it happened. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, suddenly you're making all this money. You know, you walk out on stage and some guy hands you a perfectly tuned guitar and you go play your songs you created in front of 10,000 people with a bunch of girls in front screaming, I love you, Steve, not just I love you. Right. You know, <laughs> and, and, and you're like, and you're thinking, what the fuck did I do to deserve this? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's pretty amazing when it, it, I mean, that time in 1986, you know, in September, I was down, I, I was doing sessions. I was down playing on a record for Barry Gibb in Miami when, when Broadway was starting to go up the charts and I'm making a little money, but 
mostly I'm broke. I remember I borrowed money from my brother to pay my half of the rent, which was 350 bucks I needed. Right? Oh, wow. That's, all, that's, that's September, October, and in March, I'm buying a house. Oh, okay? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's how fast stuff changes. And mm-hmm. then, you know, in the summer of 86, when we were, then we're doing shed tours, you know, we're doing the outdoor venues and headlining, and the Bengals are opening for us. I mean, I'd wake up in my new house and think, my life is like perfect. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to the point of almost, this isn't here. This is a, this is sort of surreal. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think that, of course, that's a whole nother conversation that leads into, oh God, I don't want to get into politics, but that leads into sure. a whole nother thing about, you know, people get into some real special lives and some real positions of thought in those things. Cause I did. And you do, you uh-huh. know, uh-huh. so, you know, huh. it's, it's really, really sort of different than everybody else on the planet when that shit starts happening. I believe it. It's, I believe it. It's, and you kind of kind of recognize it a little bit. I think my Midwestern upbringing kept me a little bit sane, mostly sane, probably got a little crazy in a few ways, but, uh-huh. but mostly I kind of knew like, Hey man, this is enjoy it. This is pretty yeah. weird. But, did it, um, you know. now how did it feel when it ended? I mean, I know the band ends, but, and you'll have to, I don't know what the, financial situation of a guy like you who was in a band that had two number one hits 30 years ago. If mm-hmm. is, I mean, do you eventually have to sell that house and downgrade and well, does yeah, it get look, lean look, after I'll that? Tell you, I'll tell you that. I'll, I'll tell you all that, man. I mean, I mean, you know, here's the deal, man, like in a Mr. Mr. Level, uh-huh. which is sort of one big wreck, one big album, right? Right. A couple of big hits and all that stuff. And, and, you know, we were really at the top of the game there for a minute, mm-hmm. but not, you know, not like the U2s and the, Sure. I mean, I like the guys that go forever, you know? Yeah. So, you know, for us, a scenario happens, we start making everything happen on a second record, but first have to pay off the debt of the first record. And we're doing great. Everything's great. Everybody's buying out. Everything's great. Mm-hmm. The difference, I think, for us to really set up the absolute annuity would have been that next record. Like, if Go On had sold four million albums like mm-hmm. like and Roller did, it becomes exponential. Mm-hmm. Then ticket sales at venues and everything just gets way bigger, yeah. way bigger. Yeah. And then it starts to get into like the, I never have to work again syndrome. Um, right. I guess Okay. Uh, that, that I never got there on that. Okay. Yeah, I never got on. I never have to work again. I just yeah. made, made a bunch of money and there's some things. And if you live, you know, you live in the cities like the Los Angeles and the New Yorks and stuff, cost of living's high and shit's high. And yeah. you know, you, you shift it around. I, you know, I've been up and down a few times since then. And and most people are too, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. I mean, That's what even I'm actors and stuff. You don't sure. you don't necessarily know that. People out here in the world they don't know that. But right. I can tell you, you know, you'll see certain actors that boy, they're working all the time. And then you and I think about it because I know the stuff. I say, yeah, but they aren't the they aren't the headline. They aren't the marquee guy on the movie. Right. And they're making good money, but they got to keep freaking working, probably. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and they're yeah. probably doing well. I mean, they're mm-hmm. probably living really well, but they don't go like, "That's it, I quit. I'm yeah. done with working." Right. They're like the dot com guy that starts that idea and then sells it. Goes, "That's it, mm-hmm. five billion. Who gives a shit?" Yeah. You know, I mean, so so that that's how it happened. Me, thank God, I I've had a few other things, and I have a fairly good business head and all that kind of stuff. I I don't know. I, okay. I've had I've had something else to go to, which is. I, I thank God every day I had another interest, to be honest with you. Which is the hunting? Because hunting, yeah. And so and here, and is I'll that tell, your core business now, is something related to hunting? That is my, that is my, that is my business. Now. Okay. Yeah, that's it. First, I'll tell you in two, in two things. Yeah. When I say I'm glad I had something else, because the kind of 
occupation I had in the 80s and even some of the 90s, man, it doesn't really exist like that anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I know guys that are doing session stuff, and man, the money is not that good. And mm-hmm. it's just, look, I saw the writing on the wall in the early 90s. I, I even said it back then. I said, man, this party's going to be over with, guys. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, automation was happening. Computers were household thing. Everybody had mm-hmm. one. You know, I mean, drummers were the first to go, but hell, we were using Lynn Drummond with Mr. Mister for the kick drum. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I mean, you know, you see this stuff happen, you're like, you know, pretty soon the call, as I try to describe the call, quite literally, the work calls go from, hey, man, I need you in Miami for six weeks on the record. Six weeks. <laughs> and I said, well, I need, I need at least six day minimum for all seven days of another. Okay. I want a thousand bucks a day. Okay. Great. <laughs> That's like 1983. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Those same calls, the same that the contribution they need you for for an album, by the early nineties becomes, hey man, are you busy on Tuesday at ten o'clock? Because I need you for a solo. And that's right. it. Right. So, yeah. the point is, everybody's doing it at home. Everybody's programming more and more. The samples are great. Mm-hmm. You know, any kid that can run a Mac computer can make a record. You mm-hmm. don't have to learn to play an instrument or anything else. Mm-hmm. It's all there. You don't even have to be an engineer. I mean, right. you just have to be a constructionist you have to be a guy that can put together a collage mm-hmm. and so that's that's I, it is what it is i, yeah. I can't sit there and complain i'm just saying that's what the world is now so sure sure the value of having these skill sets that we all had it's just not that valuable yeah yeah so you could and, not live off mr mr royalties to this day oh god no oh really oh, now richard probably oh, god, does no. Because he wrote those You know, songs. I don't think he probably does. I think he oh, does really? other things too. But I, I mean, Broken Wings, because most, I get the same royalties he does, except for songwriting royalties. Mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I know what he gets. Yeah. So, and it's worth getting. But, mm-hmm. but, and then Broken Wings for him and Steve, they get, you know, they get a, they get a good slice, mm-hmm. but it's probably, it still probably wouldn't be like, I get, I get to sit around. Mm-hmm. Hey man. And I don't, I hope I'm not talking to school. I don't think I am about this, but I think it's something every, it's, a, it's valuable for people to understand. Right. But, you know, one of my dearest friends is Gary Wright, Dreamweaver. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Old, I mean, I worked for him in 1983, and we've been best, I mean, just great buddies ever since. I produced him for a while, and I played live with him even in the last days of me being around L.A. I mean, I just, we're just friends. I stayed mm-hmm. with him a year ago. I went to L.A., and my wife and I stayed at his house with his wife. I mean, we're friends. Cool. And, of course, Gary's much older. Than, I mean, I'm getting old, but Gary's older than me. Gary's mm-hmm. in his 70-something, whatever. But, you know, Gary has told me all along, Dreamweaver paid his rent ever since. It paid his bills ever really? since. Really? You know, that song has paid his bills ever since. And he's kept trying to do all kinds of things. Yeah. And he's probably had some little glimpses of success, successes and stuff. But that record gets redone in Wayne's World back then. It gets uh-huh. redone here. It shows up on a commercial. That song is the song you want to have. You know, yeah. those songs. Yeah. If you have one of those. If you have Sweet Home Alabama, you just start spending money the rest of your life. That's all you do. You follow me? Yeah, I do. I mean, there's certain songs that sure. are those songs. Yeah. And Broken Wings ain't a bad song, but it ain't it ain't Sweet Home Alabama. Huh. Okay. Okay. I wonder. I mean, yeah, I, I am with you. And that's that's sort of the focus of this podcast is how legacy artists like you guys, you know, maintain livings years and years after the fact. And so that's really interesting. I, I would have thought the combined, you know, success of Kyrie and 
And uh, you don't hear "Is It Love" as much anymore. But Kyrie and well, no, and but it, "Is It Love" wasn't as big a hit. It wasn't. Right. It wasn't even then. It was like number four or something. It's it is, it's subcategory to the other two, really. Sure. Oh, we're but there to, are a I'm lot of songs that. from that were you know "Obsession" by Anna Motion was number four in 1984 yeah. or something, and it's still played a ton today, more than Is It Love. So It's, play, it's played, but it, I, I'm going to guess it's not played like Broken Wings. And Kyrie oh, is not played like Broken Wings. Oh, really? You Broken Ring, Wings is the big one. Oh, no, no, no. Kyrie, Kyrie doesn't get the airplay at all. Mm. Broken Wings is a ballad, and I've heard that all over the world. I, wow. I've, I mean, I'm playing with Whitesnake in Bucharest, Romania, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like in some weird store, if you want to call it a store, in a mall, if you want to call it a mall, because it's just a big warehouse shed, and they got a little divider set up, and I'm buying a pair of shoes. And that, over some speakers about me, I'm here in Broken Wings. And he, in 1997, I want to look at the girl and say, hey, that's... No, 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 no. You know. <laughs> Why bother? <laughs> right. Oh, that's great. But I mean, it's just funny. Then you think about when... I mean, you think about when you're doing the session and Atkins is sitting there, Paul de Villiers. And you're, now tell me, um, tell me about this hunting business. I will. And I'm sitting out looking at my one of my ranches right now. I have several, but... I grew up in eastern Nebraska, and my dad was an outdoorsman. I grew up, I wanted to go duck hunting since I was three years old before my dad would ever take me. I just, if there's reincarnation, mm-hmm. I'm a duck hunter from three, three ago even, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I just, always connected to wildlife, fascinated by animals, all that stuff, the outdoors. Well, so that's always been a lifelong passion. I mean, when I was young, when it really meant something, I'd say, I like hunting ducks better than fucking. And people would say, what? And I said, and I'm serious. <laughs> I don't know if you can put that on your podcast. It sure can, yeah. I don't give a shit. You can put that one on. That's Good. fine with me. Okay. But anyway, um, I just loved hunting. And, and any anybody that's known me, even in the music days, knows that I was all about hunting. Hmm. All that stuff. So that's always been the thing. I, I had a dream of, we didn't own land. And we didn't even have a really place to hunt. Other people would give us permission or whatever. Duck, duck hunting is my favorite thing. Ducks. And, and, you know, you could not, back in, when I was a kid, you could knock on a farmer's door and let you try to look for a pheasant, but duck hunting always required water. And man, it was sought after since the forties. I mean, you know, you know, you just had to know somebody or own some land or lease something or whatever. So my dream was always someday I'm going to own hunting land. I didn't want a Ferrari. I didn't care about the big, you know, just, that was my, that was my toy. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I didn't do it back in the Mr. Mr. in the 80s when I really should have done it. And I had some money and things were cheaper and I just didn't get around to it. Well, next time around when I'd kind of gotten a position to do it was later 90s, really. And I started looking. I looked for about five years, but the, but I, I and this story is sort of pertinent, I think. It's a, it's a valuable story, so I'll tell it. But, sure. you know, I, I see some land in western Nebraska for sale. And even though I'm from Nebraska, there was no... I didn't come this way because I love Nebraska football, though I do. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't it. I just was like, you know, this, this, and I came and looked at this thing, and man, it just spoke to me, and it was like, but there was an interesting thing about the land that I, and I'm looking at it right now as we talk, but it didn't have any water on it, and I'm a duck hunter. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, hmm. It also was, you know, twice or three times as much land and as much money as I was prepared to go for. So, I figured out a way I started, but I fell in love with it. And I thought, well, if I get, if I develop it, like develop wetlands and stuff on it. Mm-hmm. And if I also maybe form a hunting club, a cash flow thing, I can make this make sense. Mm-hmm. And so I believe, and I believe in God. And I believe that this is God's leading me into the next phase of my life. Mm-hmm. I when I look back at, it, I realize this now because the two things this, I just wanted hunting land. Mm-hmm. But what it actually brought to me was a way to make a living and be 
a creative artistic outlet. Mm. That's the one I never would have predicted. Mm. So I literally, in the last 20 years I've been doing this, I started buying lands and putting together other land deals. And I literally design changes in the earth. Wow. And I have been hired and worked in four different states now. Wow. I've even had the Fish and Wildlife Service hire me and send me to Oregon to design and implement a 25-acre wetland restoration in the wow. Leopard Klamath Basin. And, I mean, it's crazy. But and the hunting club has become a great success. It's very exclusive and very, it's not a big volume thing, but it's become a waiting list and sought after. Because mm-hmm. I just want to build things on the level of art that I've always done. You know, even in hunting. So I literally will get on an excavator and draw with with a big 60 foot arm sticking out in front of me. And I draw on the earth and it's, uh, it's so creative and it's changing something to a substantial degree that wildlife and things change. Mm -hmm. And I think this is better than records or painting. I was going to be an artist when I started out, I was going to paint Mm. as a kid. I was always, always could draw. And I'm like, this is great. This is, that's what I didn't see coming, and that's where that's where I am now. Man. Wow, that's what I do. Fascinating. That is fascinating. And it, it has led me into incredible different life moments with very powerful business people, politicians, mm-hmm. all kinds of people that you wouldn't be hanging with as a musician. Yeah. But because of our mutual interest in what this is, I am partners with some of the. I'm literally partners with some of the biggest players. Wow. <laughs> Wow. Let alone being, you know, looked at as their guru for helping them mm-hmm. hunt ducks in a very specific, ethical, classy way of mm. doing hunting in a real purest sense. And if you aren't a hunter, I, it would it would take me a while to understand what I'm saying. But sure, I'm it's, not. But it's I get far it. far from redneck, and it's far, it's a whole different deal that I'm doing, and it's been incredible. That's it's been incredible. That's wild. Years, actually, wow. Wow. I sat on the National Conservation Programs Committee for Ducks Unlimited for three terms. I was the chairman of, I'm sorry, the assistant chair of Habitat and Science for one of the terms. I've gone to Washington. That's crazy. <laughs> lobbying congressmen and stuff for wetlands. So yeah, it's, yeah. It's, and, you know, and, and honestly, the, the musician friends I'm still, you know, in touch with are in L.A. or whatever, and just sort of envious. Like they say, man, you're so lucky anything else you're interested in. Mm-hmm. Like, we, I, you know, listen, I got a real estate license now or I'm doing this or that because shit there's no work anymore these are guys that man did everything sure yep I know you're really lucky um compared to so many other people fortunate yeah Yeah, fortunate that I have another interest and fortunate in how it's gone I always say luck is something that is for not doing something fortunate because I work I work my ass I got it like everything else you're you're totally and you know that's 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 the other thing about everything yeah everything I don't care whether it's music hunting business sports, whatever. And of course, this this dives into the whole political narrative too, but the one thing I know about everybody that's ever done anything good, that's been successful in life is they work their ass off. Yeah. That's the common denominator, period. Yeah, you're right. There's, there's people that inherit things, but they're few and far between. The people that make something happen work their ass off. Yeah. That's it. Good. Good to know. Um, wow. Fascinating. Uh, okay, let me ask you about a couple of your collaborations real quick. Do you mind? I think it's fascinating, and I think my listeners will love it. Two okay. things. Number one, did you play with uh, Howard Jones on his In the Running yeah. album? I yeah, love I Howard did. Jones. Played, what did you do? Yeah. Well, he hired me. 
I went down to A&M. This is like 91. I was early 90s. I don't remember. 90, 91, 92, whatever. Mm-hmm. About the same time, I was actually trying to do my own thing after Mr. Mister. That's a whole other story. It takes you long. But no, he, I got a call. I can't remember. And I went down and played on two songs for him at A&M. And then he hired me again and flew me over to England. And I stayed in his guest house behind his house and mm-hmm. worked with him for like a week, week and a half. I can't remember. What's he but, yeah, like? I did that. He's a very nice guy, man. That's what super I've heard. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, super sweet, nice guy, man. Very mild-mannered sort of guy. Yeah. The funny thing about him, because <laughs> I'm over to do this record, and he has a, a guy from PETA coming out because he's, it's like on the record how they're sponsoring PETA and stuff, uh-huh. and I'm thinking, Howard, you know I shoot the animals, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's I mean, true. I'm sitting there playing on a fucking PETA-sponsored record. I mean, <laughs> I'm good friends with Ted Nugent, by the way, and I don't dare tell him that. Uh-huh. <laughs> anyway. Wow. Uh, do you remember which songs you play on? I could probably, again, I, I should don't go just I look just, at the... If you told me the names, if you said the, if you rattle off the names now, I'd probably go, yeah, okay, that one. We got the same beat rolling around through this crazy town. Oh, I'm sick and I can't hear it Okay. And then secondly, um, going back to Eddie Money, I love Eddie. And what made, one of my very favorite Eddie Money songs is She Takes My Breath Away. And that's such a like cool kind of an acoustic strummed, you know, rollicking. Did, is that what, you? What, what, Did you what play record? that? No, this, no. This what is right here. On? Right here. 1991, which again, according to the internet, no. you played on. Yeah. You're not on that record? I played on Where's the Party, which was 82, 3, yeah, 83.
but you're not. You, that's I'm it, Freddy. Yes, it. Oh. No, 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 no. No, I'm sorry. I got it. No, it might have been ninety. Wait a minute. What did I play on for him? I played on something else for him. And, um, oh shit. Uh, Keith, uh, Keith Olson was producing. Did Keith Olson produce that record? You um, I'm going to look right now. I, I, once again, I have the CD, but I'm looking at the internet. Yes. Keith Olson. Um, okay. I did, then I did play on it. I'm sorry. A red dress. Looking too serious. When she walks into a room. Wear those high heels. Man, she makes me feel like a rocket that's off to the moon. She's about a mover. Hey, what can I say? She takes my breath away. Oh, you know what I'm talking about. Dancing, laughter, floors on fire. Time after I left Mr. that I got management. I had a, I had ten labels. Oh, fight! It's a long story. They were fighting for my deal. God dang! I spent thirteen months looking at singers all over the world. It was we blew the deal. It's a long story, but God dang! I had it looked like it was going to be a bidding war, and I had, it was all great. Mm-hmm. But even these big producers coming like Olson and Esrin and different guys. And Keith, I, that deal didn't go down. But Keith gave me time in the studio. Then I went with Terry Bozio, if you know who he is. Sure, Terry. yeah. So Bozio and I and a couple guys went and started cutting my instrumental because I had a deal on Chrysalis for instrumental music because they thought they liked me. Uh-huh. And th- that lasted for about a minute, and then Chrysalis got bought out, and I lost the deal. But I was at Keith Olson's studio. I'm trying to think of the name of that studio. But Keith kind of took a liking to me, and then he hired me to play on Eddie Money's record, and I don't think he knew that I'd, I had played with Eddie back in 82. Mm-hmm. And I showed up with Eddie, and go, hey, man, what's going on? Right. And, you know, Eddie had opened for Mr. Mr. also. Really? A couple shows, man. Which was funny, man. <laughs> no way. I remember he knocked on my, this was in, uh, not Bakersfield, but somewhere in Central California, I'm trying to think. Not San Luis Obispo either, but somewhere around there. And I remember okay. he knocked some, I mean, we're, we're huge all right at the time. Uh-huh. He knocks on my door, Steve, well, and he's opening for us, like a set before us. Steve, we want to sit in with us? I go, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, Eddie's the guy you'd say that to because he's such a knucklehead. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, Eddie's just that guy, you know? Yeah. He's just funny, man. Yeah. I worked with him a couple other times later on in years. And I sat in with him at the Wiltern Theater one time, too. And then went down, Richie uh, Zito. Yeah. Yeah, Zito was, and I know Zito pretty well. And Zito was first. So I went down and even fixed a couple of tracks on live thing. So a couple of times later. I mean, Eddie's a kick in the ass. He's just uh-huh. New York. <laughs> You can tell. Goofball, you know. But, yeah. You know, he's okay. A good guy. He's a good guy. I used um, to see him in church, man. He's a Catholic. Really? 
St. Mel's in Woodland Hills, California. I remember one time I go in there because I go to church every Sunday. I go in there, there's Eddie sitting there with this a whole bunch of kids, his new family got married or something. Uh-huh. And I go sit in the pew behind him and I lean up and go, I go, Eddie. And he leads me and goes, Steve, what are you doing here? And I'm like, Eddie, what are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, wow. Anyway. Love it. Um, now tell me, okay, so last question. What? Why no reunions? Um, I mean, is there, it, I mean, it sounds like there is a respectful animosity maybe, or if that's not even the right word, but it no, seems so easy. Throw a bunch of money at Mr. Mr. Yeah, it is an animosity. It really isn't. Like I said, I mean, I saw, I'm friendly with Rich as hell. I mean, it was great to see him the summer before last. He was playing Lincoln, introduced me, I stood up. I mean, we're butts. It had to yeah. be, you know, we're butts. That's all that's great. But, I, I mean, I was trying to explain what happened in the dynamic of Mr. Mr. And be honest, but still, I, I, I'm not trying to paint, hey, we're all assholes. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, that's just how it was. But animosity at this point, that's, that's not it. We've had offers, like you would think, to go do all kinds of live stuff, like everybody does. Yeah. Everybody from our area goes and does it. You don't have to make a new record. You aren't going to be on the radio, but you sure. just go play shows and make money, man. Yeah, okay? I think he's doing it. What? Well, not by himself, is he? I heard. That, well, I heard that he signed up to do like '80s in the Sand or something like that. Like um, a what? This '80s in the Sand cruise or concert or I think he is going out there on his own doing some '80s things. What? Is, it, is he billing it as Mr. Mister? Or, I don't think so, him? no. I think it's just him. Yeah, he would do that. Yeah. Um, because there have been times for all these years. One time I said, I said, Rich, I'll tell you what. I went in 04. That's right before I left LA in 04. Hmm. I got divorced from my then wife. Blah, blah, blah. And I'd gone back. And my friend Kim Bullard, the guy I mentioned earlier that's with Elton John, mm-hmm. he was playing a couple of shows with Rich. Like, Rich has a solo artist. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, I said, I'd play with you. He goes, you would? And then the next thing you know, Rich, you want to come play? And I went and played. We played at the Playboy Mansion, mm-hmm. some nice. fundraiser. Mm-hmm. We played five songs. I played Broken Wings and one of the, I don't know, I played three or whatever. Saw Rich. It's great to see his kids. And I've seen his kids growing up more and all that. It's one of those deals. Mm-hmm. But I said to him at that time, I said, what about the other things? You know, I mentioned all these offers we have. And he's like, oh, we do? He just seemed to have no interest in it, man. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we asked him again today if he would, but. And here's okay. another thing, though. But this is funny, though. I don't know. I'm not, not going to say it. Just throwing people under the bus. I don't want to okay. do it. It right. wasn't rich. It was one of the other, one of the other guys from Mr. Mr. didn't want to do oh. Pat's busy, man. Pat's, Pat's out with King Crimson and doing all kinds oh, of okay. shit. You know? okay. Pat's the guy that's always been playing, man. Pat keeps out there playing. Yeah. He does his stuff. Yeah. Pat I, just likes playing. Pat likes playing drums, and he stays out working all the time. He okay. has ever since those days. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it just seems like, um, you know, if there's not super hard feelings, why not make no, no, a little no. money once a year? You well, know, you get together for it, one it show. Seem, it and, would seem logical, wouldn't it? Yeah. I, you know, then again, you go, maybe he doesn't need the money. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. I, I guess, just think, yeah. I just, I said, all we got, man, all we got to do is show up and play, man. Yeah. Can't even make any mistakes. It's easy money. <laughs> yeah. It's, this is this is easy money. Take out one guy to set up the gear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mean, keep your costs down. That's yeah. his business, you know. Yeah, it doesn't have to be a but, tour. Just a couple shows a year, and you make your nut. We're, we're trying to rewrite the wheel, man. Just yeah. you know, go on these shows with other '80s artists. Go like, hey, do it. Yippee! Yeah, I did it with Eddie. I mean, I did it with Gary Wright a few times on those things. Sure, I did it with. I even did it with Player. I told you about Player. Really? That's yeah, funny, man. Wow. Well, Dave Amato, who's the guitar player of uh, REO, 
he Dave Dave's an old friend. He gives me way too much credit. Thinks I helped him get going in Hollywood. <laughs> I, I got him some gigs when he first got there and all that stuff. Uh-huh. But he's always been a great guy to me. And one time he was playing with Player, and this I still live in L.A. and he couldn't make a few gigs, so I subbed for David Motto. So now I'm out playing with Player, the gig I didn't get back in the <laughs> There it is. <laughs> Full circle once like again. All the more in these different plays at fairs and stuff, and like whatever, man. That's yeah. classic. Um, oh, Ron, I thought of, uh, Ron oh, Moss, who player with yeah. this, is a, is a uh, with a soap opera, mm-hmm. you know, heartthrob. Mm-hmm. So we're playing like gigs where <laughs> there's a line to come up and do, you know, to sign autographs sure. to Ron, and of course they're all blue hair, you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, it's just, and I'm, I mean, I'm walking up. They want me to play these rock ass guitar solos. So I would. I walk up stage and there's this, you know, great. God bless them. Just uh-huh. older crowd. Uh-huh. And I look at these old ladies who are rocking. And I look at them before I play this loud guitar solo, and I go, "I'm sorry. I apologize <laughs> to them when they start playing. <laughs> I'm sorry. I have to do this." <laughs> oh, that's so good. I love that. Oh man. Um, okay, look. I thought of something else. Um, hey, Soul Sister, that big hit, comeback hit from Train, name checks you guys. Your lipstick stains on the front lobe of my left side brains. I know I wouldn't forget you, and so I went and let you blow my mind. Your sweet moonbeam, the smell of Oh, yeah, was yeah, there yeah. any sort of like aftermath from that? No. No. <laughs> what? It was a huge hit, a huge hit, and I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. Maybe we'll get a little bump out of this some um, yeah. Mr. Mr. Man, I mean, this is so far gone, you know, so so yeah. long gone, and we're so much older than kids that you almost just say, Mr. Mr. Remember that song by Train? They say, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Yeah. Well, that was us. We were actually in a band, you know? <laughs> right. It's like, it's like, it's so removed, you know. Yeah. I never met the guys from Train. I always figured maybe I would, and, and I got to think, hey, maybe they were fans. I don't know. I would think you know? so. Why Plus would it's they a say? great lyric. It rhymes. We know yeah. that. Yeah. Maybe they. Huh. Maybe so they no, no bump, no like invitations to come play on a show because you're back in the zeitgeist again or anything like that. You know what, man? I, I thought that might even come about. I wonder if it's going to mean something like huh. that, but it yeah. never did. Huh. I will say. I will say that. Couple of years ago, hey Siri, play Broken Wings. Take <laughs> these Broken. Remember that commercial uh-huh, on TV? Uh-huh. That was a that was a bump in the next uh, royalty chain. Cool. Game. Yeah. So I was like, oh, cool. Okay. <laughs> wow. And you don't know what's happening. You just watch TV and go, oh, holy shit, look at that. Hey, look, there I am <laughs> once again. Yeah. Okay. See, I mean, the, the laws are that they don't have to get your permission to use it after right. the after you release it one time. Oh, I they didn't just realize that. They just have to pay you for it. Okay. Okay. I mean, yeah, you don't know where you, you got to get paid for. It. I don't. I, I don't. 
Okay. The first release, you have the right to say no. Once it's out there, they can use it, but you get paid for it. Okay. So okay, that makes things sense. Things just show up. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, I don't know. I mean, I I think I asked everything I could think of. Um, <laughs> this was just awesome. I am so grateful that you talked to me, Steve. I mean, I'm a I'm yeah. a fan of yours. I'm yeah. a fan of the bands, and I'm just this was gold the whole way through. We're so good, man. Thank We're you good. for taking good. the time, and I hope I didn't bore you or anything. But this was a, you were nah. amazing. I love these stories. Oh, thanks. I, you know, I guess I like talking about myself. <laughs> That's okay. No, that's exactly thing, what I wanted. The funny, no, the funny thing is about this, man. If you knew me or anybody that's around me knows that, like I'm in the hunting world and stuff, I never bring it up. I never talk about what I ever used to do. Yeah. Music or anything. And people find out about it or whatever, and it comes up and they go, you know, you never talk. I said, oh, no. And then if somebody asks me to talk about it, I start telling stories. I just start, re- it's like my memory uh-huh. starts coming back. Sure. Goes, oh, yeah, and then I did this. I'm just kind of reliving it too for the fun of it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I don't, I'm not that guy that I don't have the spandex on anymore. You know, right, right. I'm not the guy standing in the room that's too old to wear it. You know, do you I'm still have a long ponytail so. and a beard and all that? No, dude, that's been long. That's been long. <laughs> okay. okay. I was rewatching no, the videos. I've had different haircuts since then, long and short, but not that long. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Just curious. Yeah. Um, oh, you uh, know what? I thought of one more question. It's also it's funny, man. It's also a different color now. <laughs> well, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, at yeah. least you have yours. I don't have mine anymore. Yeah. Um, no, I got a lot of hair, man. Good. Um, one more question I just thought of, and and maybe I'm wrong about this. Was there a fourth single released from real world? I'm trying to remember, man. Because if you got, I mean, even if into, uh, uh, is it love comes in at number four instead of number one, that's still awesome. It, you could still milk that album. Is it love was late spring? I remember that because it was after Curie. Yeah, Curie was number one. We were in we were in Europe when Curie went number one. I want to say that was February, maybe something right. like that. And then I think Is It Love was in the charts, sort of May, maybe. I don't, I don't remember know, any exactly. songs after then we're that. Touring, then we were touring, headlining the Sheds that summer. Man, I don't even remember. I'm trying to think what it would have been. Let yeah. me see what it had been. I don't remember I'm, either. I think of the That's album, why I asked. Uh, blah 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 blah. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't know I don't... that there was one. Huh. That seems By the like way, there was something going to on then too, though. Oh. See, RCA was getting bought out by GE. Mm. GE bought RCA, and of course, the first thing they just sold the record company to somebody because they were actually looking for the rocket ship parts and whatever else mm-hmm. they'd done about mm-hmm. RCA. So then the record company got bought by Bertelsmann Music Group, of course, BMG, that's mm-hmm. what it's called. Mm-hmm. And I remember we'd be over in Europe being wined and dined by Monty Lufner. He was one of the owners of BMG mm-hmm. in Germany. And this different people that were seemed very enthusiastic and all that. And I remember that moment in time when BMG got came about when they were formed. Mm-hmm. And it's, I, I want to think that summer was sort of like it went from RCA to GE to BMG, like within several months. Mm-hmm. And so maybe that was kind of the hold on promotion and just shit was changing. I can't mm-hmm. remember. Okay. I don't remember being pissed because we were just, everything was great. You know, yeah. Just turned get tougher in '87. You know? Just seemed like an abrupt ending to a to an album that was you know you could have just milked more and more out of if you wanted to, but anyway. I don't know, man. Okay. I don't know. I don't. I, I don't jog my memory to remember what okay. what the details were of that sort of thing. There's yeah. a lot going on. I remember that. Okay. Well, Steve, thank you. This was so much fun. I uh, I love yeah, talking that- to you. There you have it, Steve Ferris. Wasn't that great? 
I love that. So many golden moments, golden nuggets in that conversation. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I tried my best to cover every possible base. Considering how many requests we get for Mr. Mister on the show, I thought I cannot screw this up. I hope they learn everything they want to know. So I love this conversation and I hope you guys do too. Uh, I want to close it out with a song. This is uh, Something Real, Inside Me, Inside You. I believe this was the first single off of Go On. I love this song back in the day and it had a really trippy video. And I love the video. And then I rewatched it again recently. And it's one of those videos that will kind of give you seizures if you're not careful. Uh, I couldn't really keep digging it too much now, but I loved it back in the day. This is a great tune. Now we're going to keep kind of the birthday tradition, birthday celebrations going another week. Next week, our guest is another often requested guest. And if you listen to the bonus episode we put out, for Glory Days Radio, I gave it away in there who it is. Um, she is, she was a pop star and an actress back in the 80s, and you could probably safely consider her maybe the, the queen of soundtracks. She was everywhere. This is a really, another really good conversation. So we're keeping this birthday celebration going another week. Not to mention, you guys are gonna be getting a lot of content from us for like the next month. There's almost a bonus episode every scheduled every week for like the next three weeks, probably three or four weeks. So hope you guys like to hear from us because you're going to be hearing from us a lot. And I think a lot of them are interesting. So anyway, thank you to Steve. Thank you to you guys for all your love and support and for making it three great years. Uh, you know what to do by now. You can find us on Facebook and like our page. You can go into the archives, please, if you're new to this. Go to the archives, look for other guests or people that interest you. Check out those episodes. If you like them, then stick with us. Subscribe. We do this every week. Try to tell these stories that you don't hear as often from really interesting people. You can, uh, you can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. And huge thanks, as always, to my right-hand man, my partner in all of this, Jan the Man Makiewicz. Thank you, buddy, for everything that you do. We will see you guys next week. Actually, we'll see you in a couple of days with a bonus episode.